Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. It is so good to be with you this morning. And if you're a guest who's joining us, I especially want to welcome you from wherever it is that you're watching from. And just let you know that my hope and my prayer for you, along with every single person who ever joins us here at Crossbridge, is simply this, that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, I hope and I pray that you would be able to take one step forward towards Jesus because that's what we are all about. And before we really kick off and dive into anything today, I, I kind of want to give a huge, uh, two huge shout outs. And the first one is to Mr. and Mrs. Anderson. Uh, Brett and Caitlin Anderson got married this weekend. And if you're a part of the Crossbridge family, you remember if you've been with us for a couple months in the beginning of the pandemic, it was this amazing moment when there was some light in the darkness when they got engaged. And sure enough, they got married this weekend. And so would you do me a favor and just throw some love in the comments for them. So when they come back from their honeymoon, um, I'm sure that they'll be watching this. Uh, and, and you know what, just they'll see the love for them, the appreciation, the value, and just bless them, Crossbridge. And Brett and Caitlin, I just wanna say how proud I am of you and how thankful I am for both of you being voices that have constantly spoken into my life and my kid's life and my family's life and into the life of Crossbridge. So may God bless you guys, bless you. And the second people that I want to kind of give a shout out to and encourage is to Crossbridge itself. Family, you did well this week. I know that our country was being pulled in every direction to have an opinion for all sorts of things, but you did what matters most. And that is you kept Christ central to so many things and into all of this week. And I just want to encourage you and bless you with two passages of scripture that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He says this in Colossians chapter two, verses two and three, he says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then later on, if you jump into chapter three, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. And I will add in Republican, Democrat or independent because Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And so Crossbridge, just thank you. Thank you, thank you for keeping Jesus Christ the Messiah as all that matters, that focuses what we do and why we do what we do. I'm really, really proud of you as your pastor. And today we are going to kick off week four of our series on the 40 days of prayer. And I'm really, really pumped to go into this today. But if you've missed any of the last three weeks, don't worry. You can always jump on YouTube. Um, if you're already on YouTube, then the videos are already there on Crossbridge On Demand, and you could watch any of the services that we've had to just kind of catch up and make sure that you just subscribe to it and hit the alert button so that when you know we have announcements or services, you have those where you are. And I, I, I'm really kind of excited because the feedback that we've got over the last three weeks has been really good and wondering if we kind of coupled the reading of Acts with the talking about prayer. 
And the answer is yes, because we know the church started out by praying together constantly. And so many of you have come up and asked me the same question. You know, Pastor Jimmy, usually via text or, you know, FaceTiming, whatever we're doing, and you say, how, how in the world can I be more like those followers of Jesus in Acts, but today? Like, how do I learn to, to do that? Because it really was amazing what they did. And I want to tell you, I feel that same passion. How can I look like these disciples and followers of Jesus? And the more that I wrestle with that question, the answer may not necessarily always be what you like, because the answer to that question comes with a lot of risk. Now, I know risk is a normal part of life for us, but, you know, how we handle risk looks different. We all know that person, uh, that man or that woman, that risk isn't even a word in their, vo their vocabulary, right? They have no problem just going after everything and saying anything, and you're like, well, that's going to cost you, and they don't care. But most of us, we're a little bit risk-averse. Do you know what I mean? We, we, we can risk, but we take calculated risks, and we kind of plan the right time to do it. Think about the last time you took a risk. I know one of the risks that we all take at some point in our life is, you know that risk of when you're going to go ask someone out? That risk when you, you, you kind of want to and you, you know it's there and you're looking, and we always use this phrase when it comes to risk, we're looking for the right opportunity. We're looking for the right time for that to come. And when it comes to asking someone out or dating, the reality is the time is never right. Ladies, why do you always travel in packs? Like getting one of you alone to ask you out feels impossible. And ladies, when the desire to ask a guy is there, gentlemen, why are we so dumb when we're around our friends? Why do we change our personality? Because then they're like, uh, not that. do you know how weird that is? So we wait for the right time. And the time never really seems to come. It's difficult to do when we know it's going to be a risk to put ourselves out there. What about those conversations that you have to have? You know those really hard ones where it's been building and we all use the same phrase, I know I need to have, to have this conversation, but I'll wait for the right time. I'll wait for the opportune moment. You know, when things settle down, I'll finally have that conversation with a parent, with a friend, with a coworker, with my child. But again, the opportunity always seems wrong and the timing is never right. And so we don't take the risk to have that conversation. And usually we're left regretting not doing something. Regretting not taking the risk. And it actually reminds me of a great quote from uh, Trevor Noah who wrote the book uh, Born a Crime. And it's a great book. And in it he says this, I don't regret anything I've ever done in life. Any choice that I've made but I'm consumed with regret for things I didn't do, the choices I didn't make, the things I didn't say. We spend so much time being afraid of failure, afraid of rejection, but regret is the thing we should fear most. Failure is an answer. Rejection is an answer. Regret is an eternal question you will never have an answer to. What if, if only, I wonder would have, you will never, never know and it will haunt you for the rest of your days. I believe that 
As disciples of Jesus, this is something that we deal with all the times. The if-onlys, the what would happen if I. And sometimes I believe that we have these moments in our lives as disciples of Jesus where we feel like we should step into something. We feel like we should speak up for someone or against something. We have these moments where we're led to get onto our hands and knees and serve the least of these or those moments when that prompting comes and the opportunity might be there to speak about our faith in Jesus Christ, about our relationship with Jesus, and instead, we don't. And then regret has a way of settling in. It doesn't happen all at once, but for some reason, what was once just a series of regrets over missed opportunities quickly becomes a risk-free and acceptable way of life. Sometimes I worry that this type of safe and quiet Christianity has become so normalized, and now there's this disconnect where we don't even regret not sharing our faith anymore because it's normal not to. It's almost as if our relationship with Jesus in the 21st century has become so personal in our personal prayer to accept Jesus, our personal time with God, our personal worship. It's become so personal that we make the mistake of thinking that God's grace is only for us personally. And we miss so many opportunities to share the good news that changed our lives at first with the people who are around us. For a moment, would you just pause and internally, personally, ask yourself this question. When is the last time that you took the opportunity to verbally share your faith in Jesus with someone who didn't know him? When's the last time that you prayed with or sent an encouraging uplifting, hopeful scripture verse to someone who didn't know Jesus. I really don't believe that our faith is meant to be just personal and private, but we are called to be like the everyday followers from Acts, the everyday followers who took the risk involved with their faith and shared verbally the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, their Savior. And so for today, as we talk about prayer and what it means for us as disciples of Jesus to pray, I want us to approach Scripture with those other questions in mind of when have I shared and how am I sharing my faith with others? And I'd love to unpack a passage at the end of the letter that I began our service with, with words of encouragement from Paul to the church of Colossae in the letter to the Colossians, at the end of that book, that letter, there's some really, really encouraging verses on prayer that I would love to bring and unpack with us today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to the letter of Colossians. It'll be almost all the way to the right side of your Bible, and you can use your table of contents if you need to find it. We'll be in chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We will send you one right away, and we will have the verses on the screen for you in a second. 
Now, what's important for you as you're turning there is to understand, again, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul, and we read one of his letters last week, the letter to the church in Rome, where he said, I'm excited to come see you. And believe it or not, when Paul is writing this letter that we're going to read, he's actually in Rome under house arrest. Okay, he's finally made it to Rome, but he's under house arrest. And the Holy Spirit has, has empowered him, like he talked about last week, to share this good news. And now what he does is, under the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to encourage churches with these letters. The letter to the church in Colossae is actually a church he's never been to. So he's heard about their faith, and he wants to bless them and encourage them. And the letter that he wrote here, he actually references a couple of the churches and said, listen, share this letter with them. Trade letters to be encouraged. And so as we look at that, it's really easy to say, well, this was written for a church back then. But I am convinced that Paul could have wrote this letter to us today as a note of encouragement. And over the first three chapters, he does everything to set up the idea that we've already talked about in our series on prayer, keeping Christ at the center of all we do, that he is high and lifted up and supreme above all. And it is such a great full letter. So would you do me a favor later on today after our annual meeting, go ahead and read this letter. It's so good, so good. But let's look at this piece on prayer. We're going to be in chapter 4, starting at verse 2. We're going to read four verses together. It says this, Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It's so good. I, I love this section because what I want to do here is just quickly pull out three prayer and action steps for us when it comes to sharing our faith, things that we can do to engage in prayer and with the verbal announcement of our faith. How do we do it? What are we supposed to do? Where do we start? Well, let's look at this passage. The first thing that we need to do is found in verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. In our first action step, the thing that I want us all to do is to pray with your eyes open. Okay? Pray with your eyes open. I love that Paul identifies here two parts of who we are that needs to be engaged in prayer when it comes to how we pray. And he says, I want you to have an alert mind and a thankful heart. I know this may come as a surprise to you, but uh, sometimes as Christians, I think we're praying in the dark. And I'm not, I'm not talking about when we're told to have like a separate prayer closet to, you know, be quiet about our prayers, not stand on the corners and, you know, pray all the prayers that we want attention for. That's not what I'm saying. I, I think we pray kind of ignorantly sometimes without understanding what's really happening around us. We've, we, we kind of bury our heads in the sand 
and we close our eyes to the real needs of the people around us, to the real issues of what's going on. And Paul tells us in this verse that when we enter into prayer, we have to have an alert mind, an alert mind. And in the Greek, that word is Gregorio, okay, Gregorio, which is also translated, I need you to be awake. I need you to be awake. Wake up when you pray. Our minds need to be awake and engaged when we're going to move into a place of prayer. Our mind needs to be open. Now, I, I recently was learning a new board game, and I will tell you, I love board games. I am a board game junkie, but we decided to start this board game at 3 a.m. This is the wrong time to start a new board game. If you don't know how to play games, the wrong time to start any game. And as a board game player, if we've played together, you know how aggressive, I'll just own it, I can get and competitive in games. I want to play games by all the rules. I want to know all the rules of the game so that I can find my loopholes, so that I can you know, exploit certain rules or hold them over you. And my mind is completely engaged in the game. At 3 a.m., I began to learn and read instructions that made no sense to me whatsoever. That night, no rules made sense. I got completely demolished because I couldn't think three or four turns ahead like I normally do. I wasn't alert. I'm not paying attention. And, and, and the people, the, the moves, nothing made sense. Do you think I really enjoyed the time and went, let's play it again right afterwards? No, because my brain was in the same place that my body was that was like, you need to go to bed. You're old. You can't do this anymore. Sometimes I think we go into prayer with lazy minds. We go in tired and unaware of what's really going on around us. We almost go into prayer. The picture that I have is like if someone's house is burning down and they need you know, I don't know, they come to you and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And you're like, do you need my car? Do you want to borrow my car? No, they don't need to borrow your car. They need a place to stay. They need, you know, you to call 911. They need a lot of other things, but you're not paying attention. You're not looking and opening your eyes to the situation that's happening. And sometimes when I say we need to pray with our eyes open, what I'm saying is that we need to be paying attention to what's happening around us. We need to be paying attention to the people that are in our lives and the things that they really ask for because today you and I are bombarded with so much information, so many things that we add to our to-do list that constantly keep running. And, and personally, when those things hit me, I have to step back a little bit and just pause and kind of like reorient myself and say, I see all these things that are going on, but how... How can I pause to realize what's the most important thing I need to do right now? Because all these things need to get done, but what is crucial in this moment? Lord, open my eyes to what's most important, to see what's happening. And when it comes to prayer, we're leaning into the Holy Spirit and His empowerment to pray to keep Christ at the center of all that we do the center of our lives. And when he is the center of our lives, I truly believe we will be able to hear the people differently, that our minds will be so awake to what's happening around us that when someone says, can you pray for this one thing for me, we're gonna think, 
I wonder why you want me to pray for that. And it leads to a better conversation. And when we begin to see God at work in the people around us, we're going to see how much we have to be thankful for. And we begin to step in with open eyes to prayer with these awake minds, open minds, alert minds, and thankful hearts because we've seen God at work. And then Paul is going to give them actually a request to pray for. You know, can I get any prayer requests? He says, yeah, here's how you could pray for me. Verses 3 and 4 say this. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. When we look at this passage, these verses, our second prayer and action step that we should take is to pray for opportunities and then take them. Pray for opportunities and then take them. Now, remember Paul is writing under house arrest in Rome at the time that this letter is being written. And he is under house arrest for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he's proclaimed the good news of Jesus, he's actually been arrested and now finds himself under guard waiting for trial. Here we find that he's been looking for opportunities everywhere he's gone. When you finish reading the complete book of Acts, you realize he was always waiting, always watching, always looking for who was around him. And now he's in Rome and he says, do me a favor. I know I'm here. I know I'm under arrest. You see the chains, but do me a favor. Pray for more chances to tell people about Jesus. I know that's what got me here, but I want more opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. Talk about boldness in prayer, right? What a thing to be praying for. And he's not in jail crying and whining and complaining about the persecution that he's under and the loss of rights that he's had to endure. And he's focused on one thing. How can I speak about this mysterious, really it's hard to put into words plan about Jesus that's changed my life? How can I tell people about this? And all throughout Paul's life, you do see everywhere he went, he found a way to share the gospel. And he did this because, you know, he knew it was going to cost him. He knew that it was going to be risky. Every time he camped out in a city and stayed there, his life was at risk. His life was put in danger so many times to where he was literally thought to be dead because of the beatings he took for the sake of spreading the gospel of Jesus. But when he asks for prayers, he's asking not just for opportunities to proclaim it, but I love how it says he's asking for prayer to proclaim it clearly not to mess up the word of God and the story of Jesus. If you look, Paul kind of demonstrates in his story this idea of having an alert mind and eyes open praying. 
every city that he went to, while the core message, Christ at the center, was the same everywhere he went, his approach was always different. Every letter we read, we say it seems so similar, but the approach is always different. It's always contextualized to the people that he was with. Paul was very intentional about staying in places for months or years at a time to learn those people, to be in relationship with those people. He hung out with the people he knew first, the Jews, because he understood their culture. But for everybody else, he wanted to learn that city and know who they were. If he knew the people, that means that he treated them as people, just like Jesus did. And when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus, we have to remember, just like Paul and just like Jesus, that people are people and people are not projects. People are people. People are not projects. And if you have maybe been in a place or in a relationship with a disciple of Jesus who has solely seen you as a project, you know what I'm talking about. And I know this because I have had people, even as a disciple of Jesus myself, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, try to convert me because they were not sure my salvation was complete for one reason or another. And until I, I, I like really had to tell them, you need to back off. What's your name? It's weird, isn't it, those moments? But I also know those moments when I, someone loves me. And because of their love for me, they remind me of Jesus. They point me towards Jesus. There are a lot of people in our lives who will choose to make a conscious decision not to follow Jesus. They will make this choice. And when I think about it, it rips my heart to shreds because that's where I have found all my hope and all my peace. And it's what I lean on for every moment of my life. It fuels me in, in the present for celebration and eternity. And I know that there will be people who say, Jimmy, I don't agree with any of that. So does that mean that I'm no longer supposed to be friends with them because the opportunity to love them like Jesus is gone or to point them to a relationship with Jesus is gone? Absolutely not, because what do we know of Jesus? Who was he friends with? He was friends with sinners, like you, like me. He did not see people as a check mark. Did you pray a personal prayer to accept Jesus, which we don't find anywhere in Scripture? Did you pray the prayer? Check, great, see you later, next person. No, he loves people. He asks people real questions. He walks alongside the hopeless and the needy. He walks alongside and sits at a dinner table with the sinners. And when the church says, there's no hope for those people, get out of there. He's like, man, this is who I come for. This is where I'm supposed to be. He saw people as people. And so when we love and know people, the opportunity to share our faith is really there because we're not looking to force it in on them. We see the areas where many people have no hope and we can point them to hope, where they're hurting in their life and we can point them to our healer, where they have no ability to see the value and the worth that they have. And we point them to a God who says, I see you. And not only do I see you, but I created you. And I knew you before you were born. And I knit you together in your mother's room. You are in your mother's womb. You were created with purpose. 
We don't get that opportunity if we don't know the person. And so Paul says, pray that I have the opportunity, and when I have it, pray that it's so clear, and it becomes clear when you know the person. It becomes clear when you know the person. And, and I know, please hear me, that it, it's, it's probably easy for Paul to say that, and I, I find it weird that he asked for clarity, because this guy, how many times did he talk about Jesus? A hundred? Two hundred? A thousand? How many times? And still he says, but, but there's got to be a clearer way to do it. And for us, we, man, the thought of sharing our faith with others terrifies many of us. So we come up with reasons and excuses not to say anything. What if I say something wrong? Welcome to every day of my life. We say things wrong all the time. We quote statistics we think we heard somewhere and never worry about that. If we were in a relationship with someone and shared the gospel and something was wrong, can I just tell you that they would know that we love them for who they are without an agenda? And that type of love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe some of us say, I, and this one I hear all the time, I don't know enough about the Bible, Pastor Jimmy. I'm going to bring them to you because you know more about the Bible. I, I don't know about the Bible. What if they start asking me questions and I don't know the answer? It's better for me to keep my mouth shut and say nothing than look like an idiot for not knowing the answer. And then my whole faith is in question. I'd rather not. Maybe as a word of pastoral push, that's a really garbage logic. It just is. That's an excuse. Let me tell you, Pastor Will and I both have degrees from college in the Bible. This, like, dictates everything in our life. We study this like crazy together. We're dorky enough to give each other commentaries and text each other pictures of passages and, like, verses. Do you know what this means? We're still learning. So if you think that you're going to get this all, you're not. You're not. That's a weak excuse that the enemy uses over us to say, you're not there yet. Yes, you are. You are there. And I have friends who don't know Jesus, who they're reading the Bible. This week, I've even gotten texts from people who don't know Jesus to say, how would you handle this part of your Bible? What are you doing? Well, I'm curious. Okay. Can I tell you, I don't have answers for them sometimes. I read more commentaries. I listen to more sermons. I, I, I pray about it, and still it's not clear. I just have a different direction to go now. But I will not. I absolutely will not let fear of looking dumb or ignorant about what the Bible has to say keep me from an opportunity that would present itself to share the hope of Jesus. We need to pray for opportunities and then take them when they come. And it does get easier the more you do it, just like regret gets easier to deal with the more it happens, and you're like, oh, I don't need to share it. You will find your flow. And then finally, after Paul says those two things, he gives them this last practical action step to pray for. He says this in verses 5 and 6. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We need 
to pray for boldness to live and to speak like Jesus. We need to pray for the boldness to live and speak like Jesus. Heads up, Crossbridge. Um, I hope you know this. People are watching. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus and you are part of this family, let me tell you, people are watching what you say as a disciple of Jesus. Especially those who are not believers in Jesus. They want to see how we live our lives and if what comes out of our mouth really does line up with Jesus. This could easily be applied across our country right now when it comes to the church and all of that stuff, but let's just be real. This becomes important when it boils down to our street, to our neighbors, and even more importantly, in our homes. I know that many families in our community, um, for some of you watching right now, you may be the only one watching who believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the rest of your family is not there. How you live and speak in the context of your home really does matter. It doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. You are human, we are sinful. That's what that table is about and the Holy Spirit helps us work through it. But listen, how we think, what we say, how we live all matters to those people. It really does. I know this because there are families who are all believers in Jesus Christ in our church right now because they had a teenager who was a nightmare who got invited out to youth group. That teenager discovered Jesus and that teenager's life changed. And when that teenager's life changed, the way that they responded to their siblings, they responded to their family, they responded to school, they found them reading scripture. And parents, we all do the same thing when we see something in our kid. We wonder if it's real. What was this change about? How long can you keep this up? And when those students keep it up, those, those parents then come to Pastor Will and they're like, Pastor Will, what'd you do to my kid? And he says the same thing that the kid said. It's Jesus. When Jesus changes our life and we live out the gospel and it changes our behavior and our words, not because of mandates, but because of joy in living this Jesus life, people see it and they want that because they are going to ask, what is so different about you? And it should be no different for us older disciples of Jesus. Our conversations should look so different than the rest of this world. Our words should be gracious, attractive, and inviting. There should be a sense of life and joy and excitement to the way that we live. How much of your conversation and mine is spent complaining versus celebrating? How much of our conversation is spent tearing others down instead of blessing them and building them up? And are your words and attitudes filled with more anger or more joy? Because one of these sets will point people to the sinful nature that exists in us and away from God and the other will invite them in to the story of Jesus. We all know the people that we want to talk to, right? The people who bring out the best in us, who we could disagree with, but still laugh with. The people that we leave a conversation with them smiling and we can't believe time went so quick. As disciples of Jesus, we need to be ready to respond to everyone in a Christ-like way, not just the people we like. So as we look at Colossians 4 and think about sharing our faith and the risk 
and regret and how do we do it? We begin by praying with our eyes open and paying attention to what's around us. We, we pray for opportunities and then actually take them when they're in front of us. And then we pray for the boldness to live and speak like Jesus did and would. And I dream about being a church who would grow by reaching our neighbors and our streets for Jesus. We are a global church and we'll talk about that later, but right now in our homes, on our streets, this is enough. I pray that you would have your eyes open, that you would see someone that God puts in your journey, in your path this week, that you would speak with encouragement, joy, hope. And I do want to encourage you, for those of you who are worried you don't have any tools or anything to share the story of Jesus with, you have the best and most effective tool already, and that simply is this your story of your changed life. The story that God has given you. You know that story. You know it, you know where you were and you know where you are and that story is irreplaceable. It's yours and it's valuable and God can use that alone to change other people's lives. This week, I'm gonna pray that you begin to step into the risk of sharing a story looking for an opportunity with a neighbor, a friend, you're in your home. Let's leave regret at the door and risk together for Jesus. I hope next week, if I were to ask, when's the last time you shared your faith in Jesus, you would say, oh, I've been doing. When's the last time you prayed with, oh, oh, I've been. Because it's so much a part of who we are that we can't help but do this. Would you stand with me as we close today to receive the blessing of prayer from Ephesians chapter three from Paul, as he says in the same prayer that we've been praying each week. I pray that from his glorious riches, his unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish indefinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Looking forward to risking with you, Crossbridge, this week.